Don't Look Now is adapted from a novel written by Daphne du Maurier. Du Maurier was one of the most popular English language fiction writers of the 20th century. And Alfred Hitchcock, perhaps the most popular English director of the 20th century, turned to her works on no less than three occasions. Firstly in 1939 with Jamaica Inn, then again a year later with Rebecca, and finally in 1963 he brought the story The Birds to the screen. Compare the genres of those three stories. Jamaica Inn is set in the 18th century and concerns a band of smugglers who plunder cargo ships. Rebecca, Du Maurier's most celebrated and indeed filmed work, is about a young woman, whose name we never learn, who meets a gloomy but wealthy man while down on the French Riviera. Maximilian de Winter is his name, and he is a widower. The young woman soon marries him, but has to contend with the haunting memory of the first Mrs. de Winter, the Rebecca of the title. The third de Maurier piece Hitchcock made wasn't a book, but a short story, The Birds. The plot is as simple as this. In a remote farm in Cornwall, a family comes under attack from a flock of birds. Within days, all of Britain is being assaulted by all manner of feathered fiends. As great a director as Hitchcock was, I think we should feel relieved that he did not attempt to tackle Don't Look Now. Or perhaps I should put it another way. Hitchcock had the good sense not to tackle it. Although it deals with guilt, which would make it his material, it is also a ghost story, which placed it outside of Hitchcock's comfort zone. Well, okay, Hitchcock didn't make a film of it because by the time Du Maurier wrote it, in 1971, Hitchcock was two films and five years away from retiring. That may sound facetious, but I mention it because Don't Look Now is a highly unusual ghost story because the visions of ghosts are not from the past, but of the future. And that's why we're told, Don't Look Now. As it turned out, another English director, Nicholas Rogue, made it. It was his third film, and his opening trio marked him out as one of the most daring, original and interesting English directors of the 70s. His first film was Performance, which starred James Fox as a London gangster hiding out in a rock star's basement. The rock star was played by Mick Jagger. Then Rogue went down under to make a brilliant film called Walkabout, concerning two schoolchildren who were lost in the Australian outback. But before he became a director, Rogue had been a cinematographer and had lit, amongst others, Roger Corman's great adaptation of Edgar Allan Poe's horror, The Mask of the Red Death. Then he did Francois Truffaut's disappointing adaptation of Ray Bradbury's science fiction classic, Fahrenheit 451, about a future time where firemen go around the place not putting out fires, but starting them. You see, books are banned in that future, and 451 degrees Fahrenheit is the temperature at which paper burns. Another movie on which Rogue worked as cinematographer was John Schlesinger's adaptation of Thomas Hardy's novel, Far From the Madding Crowd. Rogue then lit a very interesting film called Petulia, about a woman who is savagely beaten into a coma by her doctor husband. In between those films, Rogue had also worked for a couple of weeks on David Lean's adaptation of Boris Pasternak's Nobel Prize winning novel, Dr. Zhivago. Only Lean didn't get on very well with Rogue. He found him too willing to experiment, and so Rogue was fired. I mention all of that because five of those films all starred Julie Christie. In Don't Look Now, Julie Christie plays Laura Baxter, and her husband, John, is played by Donald Sutherland. 
and together they are mourning the accidental drowning of their daughter Christine. Christine is playing out in the back garden while inside in the house Laura is reading a book. John is examining some slides. He spills a drink across some of the slides and suddenly he is seized by a sense that something has gone terribly wrong. He leaps up and runs from the house out into the garden. Only it is too late. get past that very unsettling scene you're only just getting into it but be warned the pace is stately there are hardly any scenes of visceral violence instead what you get is a sense of unease that although a great tragedy has already been visited upon this family you slowly sense that another far greater one is about to happen Still in mourning, Laura and John go to Venice because John, an architect, has been asked to restore a church. The symbolism may be a tad obvious, but the way the film constructs itself is anything but. As I said, the pace is stately, but then suddenly you will have a combination of shots that disrupt the flow of things. And those shots are, well, as I said, they could be visions of things that have yet to happen. You're sad. You're so sad and there's no need to be. My sister's psychic. She wants you to know. I've seen her. And she wants you to know that she's happy. I've seen your little girl sitting between you and your husband. And and she was laughing. Yes. Oh, yes, she's with you. She's with you, my dear. And she's laughing. She's wearing a, a shiny little mask. The choice and use of Venice as a location is very interesting. It is a city that has been drowning for over a millennium. Secondly, Laura and her husband John go there in the off-season. So you don't get the lovely Adriatic sunshine so often associated with the city. Instead, you get fog and shadows and a feeling that the city itself is in mourning. Everywhere they look, Laura and John see signs of death so eventually they realise that in order to live again, they are going to have to look not outside, but within themselves. And that brings us to the film's most celebrated scene. Some call it a sex scene, which is completely unfair. It is a love scene in the proper sense. But it is so emotionally raw. What you see is so tender and intimate, you feel as though you are intruding. But what makes it really special is that while Laura and John are twinning away on the bed, Nicholas Rogue cuts the film back and forth in time. Suddenly, Laura is putting on her makeup, and then they are back in bed. And then John is putting on his tie, and then they are back in bed. And then you see them getting dressed to go out, and you realise, as I said, this is not a sex scene, but a genuine scene of love between two characters yearning to live again. Compare it to the sweaty stuff of, say, The Immortals, where Frida Pinto strips off with Henry Cavill because the audience has paid to see them do just that. So just like in real life, sex is easy and love is hard. <laughs> 